pull out your note outline this morning. It's tucked inside your bulletin. I'm going to be dealing with a rather unusual text this morning. Pastor Earl and I are going to kind of be tag-teaming up here a little bit and walk through this uh, fascinating passage that I believe it's got some pretty hard truth for us today. It's found in Leviticus chapter 10. The passage is printed on your note outline, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and read that for us. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. One version says strange fire, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, just boom. And they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will show myself holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Aaron, that would be the dad of the two boys, remained silent. Moses summoned Mishael, Elzaphon, sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, and said to them, come here. Now watch this. Carry your cousins outside the camp away from the front of the sanctuary. So they came and carried them, still in their tunics, that's odd, outside the camp as Moses ordered. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons Eleazar and Ithamar, do not let your hair become unkept. Do not tear your clothes or you will, you will die and the Lord will be angry with the whole community. But your relatives, all the house of Israel, they may mourn for those the Lord has destroyed by fire. In other words, Aaron, you and your the cousins, you guys can't mourn. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. You must distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and you must teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. Oh, pastor. That's a weird story. Yeah, it's a little bit of a scary text, isn't yeah, it? it is. Yeah. I'm just curious, what's going on here? I mean, what are some of the reasons that this, these two guys kind of got zapped and then just incinerated on the spot? I just want you to share with us a little bit. Sure, sure. So um, the first thing, I know we hadn't talked about this. Um, <clears throat> Have you seen the trailer for the new Crocodile Dundee movie? Uh, yeah, I think I have. Yeah, yeah. So there's a new Crocodile Dundee movie. It's a remake of the one that was out 20 years ago or whatever. But uh, in, the, in the trailer, Crocodile Dundee character, um, he says, um, you call that a knife? This is a knife. And he pulls out this big old um, oh, oversized. machete. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, along those lines. And um, <laughs> as twisted as my mind is, that's kind of what I thought of when I read this. You call that fire? This is fire. Yeah, boom. And they're gone. Um, this this kind of thing actually um, with, with fire coming and consuming things from heaven happens frequently throughout the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, there's 12 times in the Old Testament where this happens. We're going to put them on the screen so you can jot them down. You're probably going to go back and, and look at them. Do you recognize any of these passages, Pastor Joel? 
Uh, not by the text. I was thinking maybe you would judge us because you just did a Wednesday night class on this. Yeah, yeah, on Gideon, right? Yeah, yeah, Gideon. Yeah. So he's offering a sacrifice and, and the fire comes out of the angel's staff yeah, or something right, to that effect right, and, right. and consumes the sacrifice. So 12 times in the Old Testament, fire comes from heaven or a, or a heavenly being miraculously. Six of them were, were good. Um, like when the, the, the temple was dedicated, that'd be like First Chronicles when Solomon dedicated the temple. It said the glory of the Lord filled the temple and they, they like couldn't even see because there's so much fire and smoke. Um, six of them were, were bad. Of course, we've got Numbers 11 here, uh, which is, our, excuse me, Leviticus 10, which is where we're studying. It would help if I knew the passage for the day. Um, at Second Kings, uh, I love, I think Second Kings is humorous. Um, Elijah is up on the mountain and King Ahaz sends a, a group of 50 soldiers to go get Elijah and bring him to me. So the 50 soldiers stand before Elijah. The, the captain steps forward and says, uh, Elijah, man of God, King Ahaz summons you. And Elijah's response is, if I'm a man of God, may fire fall from heaven and consume you. And boom, it does. All 50 men gone. And it happens twice in a row. In wow. verse 10 and verse 12. Just absolutely crazy. Yeah. Um, so this, th- these verses, I say all that, see these verses we're looking at where, uh, where two men are consumed by fire in the Lord's presence. It's not an isolated Aren't instance. an anomaly. Yeah, it's, it's there, not an isolated. There's something about our God when, when Scripture says he's a consuming fire. Yeah. It's not just metaphor. There is something about it. So, so what happened here? These, these guys, um, th- these two priests, they bring, bring a sacrifice before the Lord that says fire comes all out from the altar and consumes them. What do you think that looked like? Is that like a burnt piece of toast? Were they like, is it like the pieces of fat you leave on the grill and they just kind of turn, turn to ash and disappear? What do you think? Have you ever thought about it? Well, I would, Pastor Joel and I would suggest to you that they didn't turn into piles of ash in front of the altar. Notice what happened down a few verses. What, what verses was it? Verses five. Uh, five. Yeah. Um, verses four and five, Moses summoned uh, the, uh, the Aaron's cousins, cousins yeah. to come and, and remove them. He said, come here, carry your cousins outside the camp. This is verse four, away from the front of the sanctuary. So they came and carried them still in their tunics, outside the camp, as Moses ordered. So if they turned into pile of an ash, piles of ash, they couldn't do that, right? So maybe yeah, why some wouldn't, why kind of electrocution. Yeah, exactly, know. right. I mean, we don't, we don't know what happened, but the point is it was miraculous. And it was clearly an act of God. This wasn't an accident. This was an intentional work of the Lord. Now, what's more amazing to me than the fact that these two guys are we'll say electrocuted or smoten on the spot, is when it happened. If you have your Bibles open, what I want you to do is turn back one chapter to Leviticus 9. One chapter to Leviticus 9, and, and if your Bible has headings, tell me what the heading is at the beginning of chapter 9 in Leviticus. Anybody, just holler it out. The priests begin their ministry. So what we have here is the first eight chapters of Leviticus, Leviticus, they've been preparing for this momentous day. In chapters 9 and 10, we have day one, the inaugural day of the sacrificial system in Israel. In chapter 9, the priests make the first sacrifice. And so what we have here in chapter 10 is day one 
And we have two guys already messing it up and paying big time for it. I mean, how does that happen? This thing hadn't even started yet. God had been clear on how this was to work, and they've already done it. The text says, contrary to the Lord's commands. I mean, how do you get that boneheaded? Yeah. And yet, there's a sense in which this tends to be the rhythm of our existence. Go back to Genesis chapter 2. Everything is created. Humans have been created. Everything is good. Everything is very good chapter, at the end of chapter 2. You turn the page into Genesis chapter 3 and what happens? We mess it up. Mm-hmm. Adam and Eve eat of the fruit. They do what they're not supposed to do. They believe the lie of the evil one. And they mess it up. Or think of... Uh, um, A little bit later in Genesis, we've got the story of Noah and the flood. Forty days, God spares Noah and his family and and every one or two of every kind of living creature on the face of the earth. The flood ends. Noah comes out. He makes sacrifices. And what's the very next scene? He's drunk and passed out in his tent. I mean, this kind of thing continues through Scripture. It's this rhythm of, of we're getting started and, oh, we ruined it. I mean, think of Peter. Peter swears to Jesus, swears an oath, even if everyone else leaves you. <coughs> Not me. I'll be by your side. And like the next scene, Peter's lopping off a guy's ear and then he's fleeing from the garden and then we hear the rooster crowing three times and it's like, Peter, you, you barely got the words out before you were already violating your own oath. Or think about you. It's like 11 p.m., New Year's Eve, and you're like, man, I, I, you know what? I think next year I'm going to lose this weight. And so you make a, you, 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 you do everything you can. You, you download an app on your phone so you can start tracking what you're going to eat. And you're, you're going to only eat healthy in the new year. And, and, uh, and, and you're going to lose this weight. And, and um, a few hours later, the alarm clock wakes you up and it's January 1st. And well, I mean, who really wants to start a diet on a holiday? So maybe tomorrow. And before you even get it started, you've already set it aside. Or you've, uh, you've come to the altar and, and um, you've laid some burdens down. You had a time to meet with the Lord. And it was, it was sincere. It was real. And yet somehow before you go to bed that day, you take everything that you put in the Lord's hands and you put it back on your shoulders. Because we have difficulty following through. And just about the time God's doing something new among us, we're working contrary to the Lord's commands. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? So today, if we can look at these four and see why they did it, maybe we can understand what God's doing in us and we can take steps in the opposite direction. The Jewish rabbis have 12 different explanations for what happened with these two guys. And so today, what we'd like to do is look at all 12 of them I'm just kidding. We're only going to look at four. Joke didn't work because it's in the notes. Mm. I'm just trying to talk longer so you have to talk less. It's all right, buddy. All right. So what did they do? Why, why did these two get God's 
judgment. Let's look at four things that, that potentially they did that caused them to be electrocuted on the spot. Number one, disobedience. Notice these verses, this verses from Exodus 30. We put it on the screen, or you can find it in your text. Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends to the lamp. This is God speaking to Moses, specific instructions on how this is going to work. Verse 8, he must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight, so incense will burn regularly before the Lord for generations to come. So based on those verses I just read to you, let me ask you a couple questions. First of all, who was supposed to burn incense? Aaron, who is the, what's his role? He's the high priest, absolutely. Who else is allowed to burn incense based on the verses you just read? (laughs) Nobody. It says pretty clearly Aaron, the high priest, is to burn the incense. And when was Aaron or the high priest to burn the incense? Right there there in verse 7. Every morning, and then verse 8. And every evening or at twilight. Okay, so God's pretty clear on how and when this is supposed to happen. Aaron, the high priest, is to burn incense in the morning and in the evening. It's a clear command. There's there's really no way around it. There's no way to confuse it. And yet, what do we have here with these two guys? What do they do? Is it morning? Is it evening? Are they Aaron? So what do they do? It's not complicated. Mm -hmm. They disobeyed. They were given specific instructions, but they thought they do it their own way. As a matter of fact, verse 1 in Leviticus 10 says it did it contrary to the Lord's command. That's exactly what disobedience is. And it doesn't really matter why they did it. The text doesn't tell us why they did it, why they thought that it would be okay to do it. The text only told us that they disobeyed and offered fire and incense contrary to the Lord's command. But when it comes down to it, it doesn't really matter why they do it, why they did it. Because no excuse outweighs disobedience to God. There is never a reason to disobey God's clear teaching, a clear word from the Lord. Um, so they were crispy critters, first of all, because they disobeyed. It was disobedience. Just seeing if they're still awake. Mm-hmm. Number two, desecration. Uh, disobedience number, was number one. Number two, desecration. Notice the next verse in Exodus 30. Do not offer on this altar any other incense. Do not offer on this altar any other incense. And then notice Leviticus 16, 12. He is to take, that's Aaron the high priest, he is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them before the curtain. So we have a sense, the way that the verse 1 is written in Leviticus 10, that the fire and the incense that these two offered didn't come from where it was supposed to come. Now, why would it matter where the fire came from? This goes back just a couple weeks in this series. You talked about this. Why would it matter where the fire came Why couldn't they take the zippo out of their pocket and light their sensor? Why did the fire have to come from the altar? Let me ask you something. Where did the fire on the altar come from? God himself. We're rusty. God himself. 
Yeah, I think the snow is slowing us down. You may remember in chapter 9, they offered the first sacrifice and God was pleased. And so fire came out from the Lord's presence and consumed the sacrifice and the altar remained lit. So God says, bring to into my presence fire only from the altar because it's the only fire that isn't unclean or impure. It came from me and so it can return to me. But these guys choose to, to get fire and incense from some other source. We're not clear where. The text doesn't say. But it was clear in doing that they defiled the Lord. Actually, the, the word that you said, the King James translates it strange and some other versions do, comes from the Hebrew word Zara. It's four letters, Z-A-R-A, spelled like my wife's name, except hers is S-A-R-A. I'm sure there's no coincidence. Um, it's the same word that modern Hebrew speakers use for foreigner. So when they're talking about someone who's a foreigner, they use the same word that Moses used to describe the fire these two men presented. It was foreign. It, it, it came from who knows where, but not from where it was supposed to. And because of that, it defiled or it desecrated the tent of meeting. So they were disobedient. They offered a fire that desecrated. And number three, they were probably drunk. Yep. Drunkenness. Notice verses 8 and 9 that Pastor Joel read. I'll read it again. Then the Lord said to Aaron, verse 9, You and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting, or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Now catch this. Verses 8 and 9 here are the only place in the entire book of Leviticus where God speaks directly to Aaron and not to Aaron through Moses. Okay, let that sink in for a minute. We have this book of Leviticus that is all about the sacrificial system. It's all about how it's going to work, how it's going to function, how it's going to operate. The head, the human head of the sacrificial system is the high priest, which is Aaron. So in this book that is written to Aaron about how to do his job, his, his job manual, his, his job description... Only one time does God speak directly to Aaron about what he's to do or not to do. What does that tell you? This was a big deal. This is a yeah. huge deal. And so why would this instruction come after the fact? At, on inaugural day, after this, is, this ball is rolling? Well, probably because the boys were drunk when they got this incense and fire from wherever and thought they'd approach the Lord. And God says, no, 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 it's not going to work like that. Now we have, this will be, this is risky. Some people won't like this, but we have clear evidence from Scripture that wine isn't always bad. That it's not necessarily a sin to drink wine. But God says to the priests, you are to be set apart for my purposes. And so when you are doing your ministry especially, you better make sure that there's nothing to make sure that there's nothing that would make you common or ordinary. Everybody else may get a little tipsy when they're celebrating, but not you. You are not to drink. You're to come before me sober always. They were disobedient. They desecrated. There was probably drunkenness involved. And number four, disrespect. I mean, these other three things already sound like disrespect, but, but notice what happens here. 
Look at um, the last few verses of Leviticus 9. So just flip the page if you need to, or just listen as I read from the last two verses of Leviticus 9. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord, we just talked about this, and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, They shouted for joy and fell face down. So the picture is the first sacrifice and everybody experiences the glory of the Lord and are face down worshiping God. Except for two guys who decided that instead of reverent awe, they were going to do what they wanted to do. They were going to try this thing out. They were going to see if, if they could be like Aaron, if they could do the role of the high priest. And so while everyone else is face down in all of God's glory, these two are demonstrating arrogance like we can't even imagine. Or can we? Doing their own thing, trying to, uh, trying to offer incense before God. It's an incredible amount of disrespect. Not only to God, but to the system and the leaders that he's set into place. You know, everything that Nadab and Abihu did here, the the disobedience, the desecration, the drunkenness, the disrespect to God and the leaders, it scares me. Because I think the reality is too often we're like this. Yeah, it's a spooky thing. And so the the obvious question that we need to ask is uh, not just the so what, but the now what. What's this mean to us? Boy, I'm sure glad we don't have to put fire on the altar today because look what could happen. Well, I I think there's some takeaways here. What can we learn from this sobering account? I just encourage you. I'm going to give you three. Um, This is the first. Privileged position and blessing of God or from God can often lead us to become careless and arrogant before the Lord. Now, I want you to jot down under, after this point, let me pull up my cell phone, uh, or if you've got your Bibles or phones or whatever, uh, Exodus 24, verse 1, watch. Lord says to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, you are to worship at a distance. Aaron and these two guys were the only ones called by name. You get to come up and worship me on Sinai. Drop down to verse 9. Now, most people think that when Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments, that that entire scene, he just goes all by himself, goes up there, gets Ten Commandments, and comes back down. Well, that's how Charleston Heston did it. It's, it's exactly how Charleston Heston did it. There's some details that, that's not quite accurate. Drop down to verse 9. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up, and what happened? Saw the God of Israel. Now, your first thought, at least mine was, Pastor, was how could they see God when it says nobody can see God and survive? The answer to that question is, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly what that means. 
And they said they saw the God of Israel. I'm in verse 10 of Exodus 24. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of uh, lapis lazuli, as bright as, I mean, it gives his description. Verse 11, God did not raise his hand against these leaders of Israelites. Maybe this was a special situation because verse 11 seems like he should have. Yeah. And then it says, they saw God and ate and drank. My point is, these guys were pretty privileged. Besides Aaron and Moses, these are the only two called by name, the only two invited to worship on the mountain up in Sinai, the only two by name who saw God. says that twice. What do you think that may have caused? Well, how about a little bit of cockiness? How about a little bit of arrogance? How about a little bit of, you know what? Uh, I think uh, we're kind of bulletproof. Because we live in America, because God has blessed us, because we've got a privileged position, we've got a beautiful facility, nice church, good people here. You know, I, th- I think there's a part of that that it can become sort of easy, that you can become careless and think, you know what, nobody's going to know, God's a God of love, I'm just going to go ahead and do this. I think Nadab and Abihu didn't think it could happen to them. One of the things that we prayed for our boys as they were growing up was this prayer. It's a spooky prayer. Lord, we pray that they will be caught in their sin. Why? Because the last thing I wanted was for our boys to do something in secret get away with it, and then think, I just beat the system. Pray that your kids will be caught in their sin. And by the way, God will honor that prayer. Uh, pray the same thing for yourself. I think that's one of the reasons you need to have people in your life, an accountability partner. This is one of mine right here. I mean, we say some hard things back and forth yeah. to each other. You ask me hard questions, and I say the same to you. Happened this week. I did, yep. Gentlemen right down here. Drove an hour and a half to be with us. This is Rob Koff. Drove down from Buchanan, Michigan to surprise Judy. And Rob is in our small group with his wife, Lori, who's in Oklahoma City right now with her mother. This is one of the guys in my life. There's four, four other guys in this small group that we, we were able to talk about and say some things there we really don't talk about anyplace else. Rob asked me hard questions. What about this? What about this? What about this? They, do you have anybody in your life who's going to call you up short? Well, my, my spouse does that. Yeah, you know what, that's a smokescreen. That's true. Your spouse can be that person. But you need somebody else. Guys, you need, you need another man, another male. And I've got a few of them in my life. I've just pointed out two. Who are, who are going to ask you some questions because these guys were, were, were in a, a dangerous place where they really weren't accountable. Nobody's going to ask them. Wait, wait, wait. That's, you sure? That's not, that's not a good idea. I don't think that's a good idea. Eh, that'll be a great prank. Yeah, God's not into pranks. See? Number two. Jot this one down. Though God is a God of love, mercy, and grace, yes, he is, he is still a God of holiness and judgment. 
I know what you're thinking. You're kind of thinking as you look at this passage, whew, man, I'm glad I don't live in the Old Testament. <laughs> well, that's a flawed argument because the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, yesterday today. today, and forever. God is not man that he should change, it says in the book of Numbers. You know, God is immutable, unchanging. He's the same God in the Old Testament. It's the same God in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, uh, Bring up the next screen, if you would, please, Don. Check this out. Uh, I did my own list. Uh, these are some people who were zapped on the spot by God. Now, you can see at the top, Nadab and Abihu. We just did that. Dathan and his followers. These, this was the guy who was pestering Moses, always griping, always complaining in the wilderness, saying, you know what? Uh, you don't know what you're doing. You know what? And he just grumble, 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 grumble. Complain, complain, complain. What happened to Dathan and his followers? Moses says, you know what? God's going to judge you. And the earth opened up, swallowed them, and then sealed back up. Now, that would tend to be an object lesson that would get your attention. The earth opens up, Dathan and his followers ah, fall into the crevice, and it seals back up. To which Moses then says, anybody else have a comment? See? <laughs> Look at the next guy. Uzziah, Uzziah, I'm sorry, um, let me drop down to Ananias and Sapphira. They were the ones in the book of Acts, remember, that lied about the gift that they were bringing to the apostles' feet, and just boom, Ananias was killed in the spot. Pretty soon his wife comes in a few hours later, uh, did you lie before the Lord? Well, I kind of told a fit. Boom, just boom right now. And then finally, the last one, Herod Agrippa struck down by an angel, eaten by worms on the spot, being arrogant. Now, notice two of those are New Testament. Two of those are New Testament. Notice, look at the verses that I've got printed on your note outline. The Lord, this is Hebrews 10. Is that New Testament or Old Testament? Hebrews 10, the Lord, is that one on there? It is yeah. on here. Yep. Hebrews 10. The Lord will judge his people. It is a, what's the adjective? Dreadful. Dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's a rather sobering verse. People will sometimes say, but pastor, I'm going to go ahead and do this because I've got a clear conscience. That's a bunch of baloney. Since when, you know, let your conscience be your guide. That's not Bible. Your conscience can, can be one of the worst guides. I've had people say, a guy named Tom years ago was going to divorce his wife. He was having an affair with this other lady. He said, you know what, I'm going to divorce my wife. And I said, Tom, that's a bad decision. That's a bad, you're going to be disobeying the Lord. And he goes, I just want you to know, I've got a clear conscience What's that have to do with anything? That's an irrelevant statement. You've got a clear conscience. Well, whoop de doo Because look at this verse. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. Just because your conscience is clear doesn't mean that you're wrong. I mean, people say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go ahead and marry somebody of the same sex. I'm in love with them, who you say, who I can't, can and can't love. I've got a clear conscience saying, well, uh, my conscience, th this is what I use as the ultimate authority. 
not my conscience. See? Revelation 3, this is a very, usually we quote verse 20. Those whom I love, I do what? Rebuke. I rebuke and discipline. And by the way, that is a promise. God does severe discipline in our lives. So be earnest. Repent. Stop doing that. Because here's my concern. There's somebody in this room today that is on the verge of getting ready to do something really, really stupid. And it gets really quiet. You're on the verge of getting ready to do something really, really stupid. And may I lovingly say, stop. And you're thinking to yourself, I can't believe that. He must be reading my mail. Must be looking through the picture window. There are some things that you are doing in secret. Nobody knows about it. You'd be totally embarrassed. Well, I tell you what. God sees that. And he's got a way of bringing those things that are hidden to light. And that if we don't judge ourselves... We will be judged. What that means is I need to make adjustments and repent. And this is what the Lord says to us this morning. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Sadly, we've used that verse in evangelism. That's not the context of Revelation 3.20. The Lord is saying to us this morning, I'm standing at the door. You're listening to your two pastors this morning. They're knocking. I'm knocking, saying, I am speaking to you about an issue or issues or wrongful relationship or a habit or something that's going on in your life. You have got to come to grips with this thing. And either you go and talk with a trusted believer or one of the pastors or somebody and you can say, you know what, I can't get get over this thing. See? Because if you don't, God's got ways of dealing with this thing, and he does it because he loves you. God's not up in heaven going, you know what, that makes me so mad. Oh, he's not punitive. He does it for our good. And that brings us to number three. Here we go. Each of us needs to remain humble. Isn't it interesting? Humility is not one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's a posture you assume. Humility is something that you put on. It's not something produced through the power of the Spirit. These guys weren't humble. These guys weren't humble. I need to be teachable. I need to be transparent before the Lord and before other people in my lives, in my life, and so do you. I mean, this isn't the easiest message to bring this morning, but I'll tell you what, it's a healthy one. It's a healthy one because some in this room are driving the car and it's about ready to go over a cliff and you've got warnings saying, bridge out, stop, and you're blowing through the warnings. And we simply are saying this morning, I think the Lord is saying to us, hit the brakes. God will provide exit ramps to get off the interstate. And to say, you know what, I need to go a different direction. 
you ignore the exit ramps enough, you're going to go over the cliff. And then that, that gets uglier, doesn't it? Pastor, wrap some things up here and pray for us, will you? This, uh, this whole notion of humility, I think, is a tough one. I had never thought about uh, what you just said there, that it's not a fruit of the Spirit, but it's a posture you put on. And uh, perhaps that's why a, a mentor of mine early in ministry um, suggested that I pray the prayer, which I still do to this day, Lord, um, help me to be humble yeah. so that you don't have to humble me. Uh, because it is a posture God expects of his followers. And, right. and if we're not willing to take the posture, he'll help us to assume the posture. Yeah, the story was put in here for a reason. That's right, absolutely. And, uh, and with all of Scripture, our goal is to ask, who am I in this story? Who am I in the story, and how can I experience God through what's been written? And so our prayer for you today would be that if, uh, if you're the one with the pedal to the metal that before you walk out of this room today, by the help of the Holy Spirit, you would decide to, to ease up off the gas, to slow down, to repent, to begin moving in the other direction. We, talked about, we talk about the fact that there's two things involved here. There's confession. Confession means that I acknowledge that this is wrong and the direction I'm going is not where God wants me to go. And there's repentance, and that's where I get off the interstate. I, I begin to move in a different direction. They're all only because of the Spirit of God and because Jesus stands at the door and knocks. I'm going to ask if you'd pray with me. Heavenly Father, it's, um, it's a dreadful thing for sinners to fall into the hands of a just God. And we've seen through the scripture today that you are a just God, that you won't allow disobedience to go unchecked, that you won't allow arrogance to stand in your presence. And so, Father, with great humility, we confess before you today that we are often like Nadab and Abihu. We often do things that we know are contrary to your desire, your expressed will for us. And we sometimes even doing it, assuming it's okay because we feel fine about it. Our conscience is clear. And so, Father, we throw ourselves at your mercy today and, and um, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak clearly to us. Lord, I ask that in these moments, your Holy Spirit would put his finger on areas of our lives where perhaps we've begun to walk across the line. To do things that are disobedient, that defile our relationship with you. that profane who we are. And Father, as your spirit puts his finger on those things, 
Would you help us to hear your voice calling us back? Would you help us to respond so that it's the mercy of God that we taste and not your judgment, Father? We thank you for your word, for the warning that it provides us today, for the invitation that it extends to us to in humility acknowledge that we need a Savior and to move in his direction. We thank you that there's a wideness in your mercy that we can't find on our own. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. I'm going to ask if you'd stand so we can bless one another as we're dismissed. After I've pronounced the blessing, if you would say, and also to you in that way, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we'll bless one another. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and be gracious to you. May the Lord cause his face to shine on you and give you peace. And also to you. Amen. You are loved. Go with grace. Amen.